steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! To the Unbelievable Podcast, I am BJ Adele back here with my guy Drew Mahold, and today is an unfortunate day because yesterday, uh, Sunday that is, uh, the your Minnesota Vikings dropped to one and three on the 2021 NFL season by a final score of 14 to seven, Cleveland at U.S. Bank Stadium. So uh, unfortunate, I think, somewhat to be expected. I mean, both of us here on this show, uh, we sort of saw this one coming to a degree. Um, but there's still some, you know, disappointment that comes with losing, even if you do kind of expect to lose, or if even if you are, um, you know, the inherent underdog um, in the, in a number of different stretches. So uh, we'll dig into kind of what happened. Um, you know, hand out a couple of uh, slices of pie here uh, for guys who you know, didn't particularly live up to the expectation for the team or, uh, you know, were particularly influential, influential in this loss. And then we'll go through a couple of moments as well. And that'll be the show. So, uh, not doom and gloom yet, but we're we're getting there. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's get it started here with Kirk Cousins. We always start with the quarterback position, win or loss. Uh, you know, heavy is the wins the crown. Uh, that's just kind of the position in itself in the NFL. Um, if you're going to play quarterback, you're going to have to take a slice of the pie. Um, and unfortunately, the Vikings here, they put up seven points of offense in a game that they lost 14 to seven. You know, we've talked about before in the past that generally speaking, when Mike Zimmer teams score about 20 to 24 points, they're going to win the football game. Uh, and that's kind of the bar we set uh, just over the last few years or so was that, you know, if the Vikings can get there probably the offense that's you know the reason behind a Vikings victory if the Vikings can't get there well generally speaking it somehow falls on Kirk Cousins and the you know the other accessories within this offense and to me you know this game uh, was really no different in that regard uh, Kirk Cousins drives down Vikings score on the opening drive and after that it's just punt city um, and the Vikings mm-hmm. really couldn't move the ball effectively you know basically throughout the remaining three quarters of the game right um, that's the you know and certainly not going to blame everything on, on Kirk. I mean, I, I, we, if by now you've probably seen some of the pass block grades that are out there um, from pro football focus, they're not great. And so with, with that in mind, we can't, you know, just totally eliminate the the blame there. Um, But ultimately, you know, you're paying your quarterback over $30 million and your team scores seven points. I don't care who the defense is. It's not going to be good enough. And that a lot of that's going to fall into quarterback. Uh, just seemed like the pressure got to him early on. This has been, that's been a theme with him throughout. Right. I mean, if he right. feel like if he gets, you know, impacted at some point in the game and it wasn't that first drive, that first drive was, was pretty darn solid. Um, Absolutely. but then for whatever reason, he was just feeling the pressure earlier than usual. And then of course there was pressure a lot of the time. Um, but then even when the snaps and there wasn't pressure, he was feeling it and, and getting rid of the ball earlier than he needed to. And, um, Ultimately, that caused um, there were some missed opportunities. I think it was it Osborne that was wide open on that uh, seam route down the middle uh, that he missed? That would have been a walk-in touchdown. So yep. missed opportunities, and I mean, you know, honestly, if Baker Mayfield plays a, a 
you know, D plus game. This game is probably a three three possession game and it's same close. So, um, yeah, this is, this is, this one sucks because I think I saw some, some, uh, fan discussion on this on, on Twitter. And I agree with this point that, you know, there's, there's an element of luck that goes into a real toss-up game, which could, which you can kind of, uh, you know, I'd put both the Cleveland and Arizona game into, you know, that category where mm-hmm. uh, both teams played to a pretty even playing level, I think. And to that point, it's just, you know, who gets that right bounce at the end, Dalvin fumbles in overtime, you get the missed kick from 37. Ultimately as a team, obviously there's the one player who made the mistake, but as a team, you kind of got unlucky to lose both of those games. Mm-hmm. This one, they just simply got outplayed. Um, yeah completely outplayed defensive line, offensive line, both outmanned by the opposition. Um, Odell Beckham should have probably had a hundred yards and two touchdowns. He was open all the time. Just wasn't getting accurate throws to him. So uh, this to me is a measuring stick game for the Vikings. There was a little bit of optimism that came from the Seattle game. And it's like, Oh, this team could maybe sneak in and and make some noise, but um, Cleveland hasn't been all that dominant this year, Um, but they, in a way, like even though they only won by seven, it felt like they dominated this game mm-hmm. a lot more than what the scoreboard said. So I think the Vikings are, I mean, this tells me they're just, they're not, they're not going to get to that level of, you know, playoff contender uh, at all, or even, I, I don't see much hope for them uh, getting over 500 at this point. It's just, that's the type of game at home. You got to be able to compete with a team like Cleveland, who's kind of a fringe contender, not really a, you know, Super Bowl contender, uh, a team that, at home in your home environment, you should be able to compete well, especially when the quarterbacks play that poorly and they weren't able to get it done. Yeah. That, that last point that you made and kind of referenced earlier on about Baker Mayfield playing poorly, I think really that's what makes this, this Vikings loss hurt, right? Cause I think the expectation was coming in for the vast majority of, you know, objective fans, people who were looking at this without, you know, the purple goggles on, they thought the Vikings were going to lose this game. Right. And they thought they were probably going to lose by a score or two. Um, even though they're playing at home, you know, you give you a couple points here or there, whatever. But generally speaking, everyone expected the Vikings to lose this game. When Baker Mayfield plays to 15 for 33 passing and literally almost avoided wide open targets on a couple of different occasions, when he plays that poorly and you still lose, that's what makes it hurt for me because Kirk Cousins should be able to exceed that level of play despite the pressure. I, I know the pressure was there. The offensive line wasn't great. I mean, Dalvin Cook was essentially non-existent. I know that there was factors working against Kirk, but like comparatively speaking, when the opposing quarterback plays that poorly, that to me is what's disappointing because you had so many opportunities. It wasn't just the next drive after Cleveland scored to make it 14 to seven. It was also... The drive before that, it was the seven drives. It was like that. 10 drives. <laughs> it's incredible. You just had so many opportunities, and there were so many times when, I mean, in the second half, right, I'm sure a lot of you guys saw that, that tweet that uh, Chad Graff tweeted out earlier today about the efficiency and just the production of Kirk Cousins on a per-play basis split between the first half and the second half. First half looks great. He's a top five-ish passer in the NFL efficiency-wise. Second half, he's like a bottom five-ish passer efficiency-wise in the NFL. That's essentially what that chart says. I you know, would recommend checking that out if you want to. Uh, but that's basically what this is. Like, That's why it's frustrating because Kirk had a couple of great passes. The thing that he dropped into the bucket of Justin Jefferson down the right sideline in the second mm-hmm. half, that, found, that felt like a, okay, we could, we could win this game moment. 
And then it's followed by, you know, a penalty or a stupid incompletion or a drop or, you know, just something is compounded into the issue of this offense just can't move effectively down the field. That's what it's been about. So it didn't even matter that Bayfield, Baker Mayfield sucks, and that's what makes this game disappointing because if he does play well, you're right. They probably win by a score or two. He had plenty of opportunities as well. You think about the Kareem Hunt one where he just sailed it over his head. Tough throw, but you're you're a professional. Make that. Oh, play. there was just – OBJ was open most of the day. I mean, exactly. It's, so and wasn't if, able to get the ball to it most of the time. If you if your opposing quarterback is playing that poorly, 4.7 per, per pent average, by the way, for Baker Mayfield, you expect the Vikings to rise above it. And they just unfortunately weren't able to, and that's where the disappointment for me comes from. Now, you are one in three. I think, in my opinion, you have reached the break point. Right. And the next game will kind of decide what type of team you are. If you move to two and three, we can get that hope right back because you're playing against Detroit. Right. A team that you, quote, should beat. Right. You get that win, you move forward. And then all of a sudden you've got to march to back to 500 against Carolina, who, you know, I know they were three and one coming into this week. But I think Dallas exposed them a little bit. There can you can open up optimism again if the Vikings are able to get a W over Detroit. But this is the break point, because if you lose to Detroit, it's over. Everyone's off the bandwagon. And then. And there it's are all, potentially talk about firings. Yes. You talk about jobs being lost. Um, I think that's where, you know, now I, I, I try not to be the type that after every win, start looking at like the schedule and what team, what games can the Vikings win to get to the playoffs. Vice versa, when they lose, I try not to be the type that's like, oh, here's what, you know, the Vikings could do for their next head coach or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. um, I do think though, after this many years, you know, the, the Zimmer, um, tactics the you know just his style i think it's it's run its course um and the fact that he just basically does not touch offense really is just is concerning and when the rest of the league you you look across the board at these teams that are dominating um you've got offensive-minded head coaches across the board kieran bay tampa bay uh, uh kansas city i mean it's that's the way uh, these teams dominate. And so to, to not have that in Minnesota is one of the many reasons why it just seems like there is a very low ceiling on this team. Um, and they, they won't be able to get to that next level of contender uh, with uh, among many other things. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately Kirk got to do better. You, you got to do more in, in this game than one scoring drive. You just have to, um, so, I mean, I'm, you can't absolve him from blame. And I, I saw a lot of people doing the, well, you're an idiot if you think this game falls on Kirk Cousins. Well, I mean, no game falls squarely on one player. No, that's never the case. Um, but, but very you subpar. You don't acknowledge the fact that he played a role in this loss. Right. That's, that I mean, it's definitive a, to me. A, a sub, it's a subpar performance from a guy. Like That's not a $30 million performance. It's not a $20, $20 million performance. Correct. It's, uh, it's a very subpar performance. And the funny thing is he outplayed Baker in my mind. And still... That's the point. That's why and, I'm so annoyed. It's that if he dropped one more in there. Because like we're going to focus so much on the you know, the bad things in this game because they lost. And it was an ugly game. Defensively, though, like the pressure on Baker and things like that, I was I love that. And Baker's off his rhythm. Um, obviously, that they ran the ball like crazy on Minnesota throughout the game. But right. um, there were some good things to be had in this game. Um, when you hold an offense, any offense really, the 14 points um, like that, and only one touchdown that there's th- good things to be taken away from that. But that's just, uh, yeah, it's, it sucks. It sucks. That's a game that you need to win. That's a game. Cleveland probably didn't certainly didn't bring their a game and they came into us bank stadium and beat you still. That should be demoralizing. 
absolutely. And it feels that way. That's that's exactly how it feels. And also the fact that offensively speaking, this has been your strength through, you know, essentially yeah. the first month of the season. And really the only takeaways are that KJ Osborne had an incredible catch, which by the way, <laughs> that's a small takeaway here that you do have a definitive number three target. DD Westbrook also came up with a nice first down, but really that kind of gets lost in the ether because of this whole situation. And then Justin Jefferson continues to be a very, very solid player and a, you know, a, a number one ish, you know, type target for your, for Kirk and the rest of the office. Uh, I mean, I saw the, was it Steve Pella? I don't know his last name. The Steve Pellazolo. Pal- is that how you say that name? I think so. Uh, he said Justice Jefferson is approaching Devontae Adams' level of dominance, yep. um, which, you know, on PFF, they don't focus so much on the statistical production as they do, like, how well he runs routes and how well he grades there. And route running, getting open, that type of thing, the the technical stuff, he's elite of the elite. Um, so it sucks in a way that they're going to end up wasting some of the years of his career. But I was just it's good say- to have that. Honestly, Justin Jefferson and the people like him on this roster, you know, kind of the new wave of talent that will be around for this next contending Vikings team. uh, They're kind of the reason why you start having the the consideration of who to fire if you lose this game against Detroit, because you don't want to lose them. Right. Like, I know that this is an overreaction, but I'll say it anyways, because it becomes relevant. Like if Mike Zimmer becomes tuned out, by the next generation of Vikings players, good luck retaining those guys when their contract expires, yeah. right? Like you might need a new voice for that reason alone. I'm not ready to go there yet. Let's see what happens in Detroit first, but uh, it's very real to me. This is definitively the break point. Uh, if you blow the next week, um, if something else goes wrong, you know, if Mike Zimmer were to have an Urban Meyer video release, something <laughs> of that nature, we are at the like, we are at the peak here. Like you need to start coming down the mountain. Uh, otherwise, Mike Zimmer... You know, he's kind of on the trail to departure from the organization. Um, And part of that is that run defense that you were talking about. Of course, he's a defensive minded coach. You touched on before. And this is especially important here when you can pick out a specific element of the defense that sucks because he's so focused on the defense. When your run defense is as bad as his defense is, which if you remember back in 2014, when he came into the organization, the run defense was horrid. And the first thing he said was, we got to stop the run first and then we'll fix everything else after That's kind of what he did in 2014. By 2016, he had a above average to, you know, uh, I don't want to say elite, but elite moment defense. And that's where he started. He started by stopping the run. So when you start to lose that, which has really been like kind of a foundational pillar of who Mike Zimmer is as a coach and especially as the head coach in Minnesota, that makes me nervous. Um, I know you lost Michael Pierce. That's, you know, sucks, but there's a reason why you get both Dalvin Tomlinson and Sheldon Richardson is so that if Michael Pierce is gone for a couple plays, or if you have to increase snap count for a rotational player, you have a good one there. That's why we didn't get mad at them overloading resources at such a peak position because stopping the run is important for this team. And I'm glad they did great again against Baker Mayfield, but really that didn't matter, right? Like ultimately Baker Mayfield's performance under 50% passing under 5.0 average play. That doesn't matter at all. So like, yes, great job, but like they won anyways. So who gives a shit, right? Like that's kind of where I stand on the pass defense, a great job guys, but like you couldn't stop the run. So Kareem hunt goes over 60, Nick Chubb goes over a hundred, you know, you're compiling yardage and controlling the clock, which by the way, Drew and I should point out, we absolutely nailed that time of possession point on the preview episode, because that's exactly what Kevin Stefanski and what Mike Zimmer wanted to do, but it did not do as well. 
the team who t- controlled possession and the time of the clock battle, they won. I mean, it, it was, I think you texted me at the first tire, <laughs> maybe second half. And you're like, this is an all time possession off because yeah. it was just both teams trying to run the clock as much as possible. At least that's how and the game began. The Vikings and, couldn't stop it after that first right. drive. I know. I know. I mean, and even then there was, yeah, you know, how many fourth down plays and then, Oh my I mean, God, the Browns moved the ball really well. And then there was just, you know, weird scenarios where they kept keeping the ball and running the play again and playing the leads and all that stuff. But, uh, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sick of this game already because it annoys me. Um, okay, let's talk I have nothing else to add. I mean, okay, there, I, got, I do have a couple positives. I do. Okay, there are a couple positives here before. I do want to touch on the Kirk decision at the end of the game, and then we'll kind of hand out the slice of the pie and we'll get out of here. Uh, but one positive was, of course, that fourth down stop, the first defensive stand that the Vikings had. Um, of course, they scored the touchdown, and then immediately after that, Cleveland mm-hmm. goes all the way down, and the Vikings' defense stops them in the red zone. Stopped a, what was that, a 15-place, seven-and-a-half-minute drive that ended in zero points for Cleveland. At that point in time, uh, the Vikings were looking really, really good. They go down and, of course, punt there, and then things kind of got un- un- you know, unraveled a little bit on the next few drives, but... There was the turnover on downs, and then there was the, what, six straight goal line stand plays that were interfered with by a stupid penalty on Eric Kendricks. But in the red zone, the Vikings' defense, what were they? Probably seven for nine or eight for nine in terms of not allowing touchdowns from inside the five-yard line. In, like, high-percentage play, high-scoring percentage plays. With Hunt and Chubb coming out of the backfield. That is something it you was can hang your hat on. Scoring, that was impressive. For them, scoring that touchdown was like pulling teeth. So, Absolutely. I mean, they between the 20s, they were moving the ball pretty well, right? But then you get to that, and that's that's always been Zimmer's thing. Um, that's still – I'm never going to knock him for, you know, third down defense and then like red zone defense. Those key situational things always been awesome. Uh, you go look, look at the historic – even last year with a pitiful right. defense, third down defense, they still ranked very highly. So, um that that will always be something that I will respect Zimmer for a ton. Even when he's got a depleted roster, injuries all across the board, he always is able to get the best out of his guys and his scheming on on those key scenarios. Um, the one I want to bring up, but it's actually almost a um, you know a negative right now. But like Cameron Dantzler, because he tested positive for COVID yeah. today. But right. I mean, he to see him come back there and have a pretty solid performance was um, you know it. it after last week and the whole tweet thing and everything, it's it's good that he kind of got the you know the right head back on his shoulders and mm-hmm. had the right attitude here with the whole with the real injury and get in there and, and still you know play as positive role for the team. So, and I mean with that said, now the the cornerback group could be really depleted with COVID around and and whoever else is uh, was exposed and, and affected by that. But it's yeah, I, I, it was good to see that. I was I was pleasantly surprised by by that as well. I think the last point here that's a positive that I'll take away here is something that I'm going to have to keep an eye on as well because it might just be a positive moment, and that was Mike Zimmer being aggressive on fourth down. Um, You had the C.J. Ham run early in the game where you could have easily kicked a 50-ish yard Mm -hmm. field goal with Greg Joseph, but instead you you elected to go go for it. And, I mean, I thought the play call was interesting. I don't love giving the ball to C.J. Ham in kind of a do-or-die situation early in the game, but it worked. Uh, but I, and then later on, of course, he I mean, you're in that one, scenario. But... It's one yard. You're you have, I, I would imagine, a 70 percent chance of getting that with right. really any play call that you use. Um, so in that scenario, 
you know, you go for it. I think it's, I, I basically I'm boiling this down to the more I look into like percentage plays and things like that on, on fourth down, it's, if you're thinking about it, probably go for it. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, there are some decisions over the weekend. I mean, the Bill Belichick kicking it in the range from 56 yards when you got a minute left in the game, fourth and three, you make that field goal, touchdown Tom's and they go drive and score on you anyway. So like you, right. you run more clock, you get that first down, you have a kick from 50 yards instead or even less than that, probably 40 yards to, I, to try I and make. Mike so Zimmer I mean, is looking at the analytics. I think he's changing his ways because we've seen yes like and a no, I, because I mean, I'm still, I'm still pet like peeved by that, that field goal. He, he, he right. chose to kick against Seattle two weeks ago. The analytics certainly didn't favor that one, but that's beside the point because I, I do think there's something, I mean, it, it's, it's better than it was. He's still not very good in my mind. Um, I, there's still yeah. a bunch of opportunities that he's missing, but it's better than when he first started when it was extremely old school. Um, one thing I wanted to mention too, um, I saw a lot of talk about, you know, Oh, Kirk checking down right before right. the the last second touchdown throw. So I have a take on this and I saw people, I actually saw somebody, I don't know who it was, but they're like, Oh, Kirk uh, checked it down on the, before the last play of the game. And they brought up the Brett Favre play. Um, in 2009 to Greg Lewis, but my favorite play of all time, by the way, right. Continue. Fair enough. But right before that play, Favre checks down to Barry in for seven yards. (laughs) So like, and a guy like to get out of bounds and gave, you know, that's exactly what cousins did before this, before this play. I have no problem with that. Um, You know, I'm not, again, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the coaching room but who knows what different types of plays are created and, and run, you know, to set up this type of scenario from the 25 versus the 35 or from the 30 versus like the 40, you know, it could be completely different. I mean, you might just have a total prayer hail Mary from the 40, the 30 might be able to run something more schematic than that. I don't know, but I'm not going to fault Kirk for that. And I think a lot of people are just, if you're, if you're blaming that, like if you're trying to find that reason to blame, him, I think you're just searching for reasons to, you know, there's a lot of reasons in this game to, to blame Kirk for like, didn't play well the whole game besides that first drive. A lot of things to point at. I don't think that's one of them to, to fairly criticize him. I think, you know, that's just a, a game script and that could have been a coach's call too. like, Hey, they're going to be really soft cushion here. You're going to have this underneath route for 10 yards. Go ahead and take it and we'll take a closer right. shot at it. So I actually didn't have opinion an opinion on this moment um, when it happened live, right? And that's to me why it feels super in- inconsequential. And I kind of yeah. agree with you that people are just kind of cherry picking something to add to their I hate Kirk argument, which I do as well, hand up. I mean, I don't like Kirk either. You guys know that from listening to the show. And I pick some points that I think are kind of eh. But this one for me doesn't stick because a couple of reasons, a lot of which you, you know, kind of already, you know, outline but uh, the the big one for me is that when you look at the tape of the Favre one versus the 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 Cousins one is people are pointing to okay well Favre had like 12 seconds to operate where Cousins did this with three seconds Favre's play looked like it was designed whereas Kirk looked like he was going downfield and then opted out to I don't care what the design was the goal was to get closer to give you a better opportunity so who's to say the better opportunity is taking two shots from 40-ish or one shot from 29-ish. 
I don't know the answer to that. I don't know Kirk Cousins' arm. Like I, I've watched all the games just like you guys, but like I don't know what he personally feels comfortable with in terms of throwing depth. What I do know is that when you're throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the game, nine times out of 10, 98 times out of 100, it's just going to hit the turf and it's mm-hmm. not going to be a touchdown. You're not going to get the results you wanted from an offensive standpoint. It's just not going to happen. It's a very low percentage play. So taking two shots at that, yeah, it does increase a low percentage play, but it's still so low that it's like, again, it's inconsequential to me. It's like, if you're going to take a shot, then make sure you take the best possible shot. I don't hate that way of operating. With Favre, yeah, he probably would have had a second shot throwing after the Greg Lewis play. I believe he had like three there was seconds. Like, there, was, there was time left, yeah. There was something like, I think he threw that ball with nine seconds or something like that. If that ball drops the turf, he probably gets one more shot. But really, that's backing it up more. That's not the check down. That's the problem then. That's more an inefficiency of clock management when you're – I mean, they could have taken the time out earlier the drive and saved some time. Potentially, I know the announcers during the game alluded to that. There's a lot of different things there and a lot of moving parts. So I'm with you that that, to me, was not like the sticking point where I was like, my God, Kirk, like no. you know, dig and dunk passer. I didn't no. see that. I saw efficiency. I saw a guy – and he said this as much, right? He was like, I didn't want to turn it over. I wanted to give us a better shot. I, I'm really not one to argue with that. I don't think that one, I, I I mean, kind of think that one shot from 20 is better than two shots from 50. Now I'm I'm not, I don't really, and you, I mean, it might be analytically, you know, that small percentage might be higher. I was take two shots at the end zone there. Um, I just don't think, I think that's a very minuscule criticizing point, you know, to uh, compared to the way the rest of the game went. Like, it's just, that seems like something that's, like you said, very inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. When really your te- your offense should have more than one scoring drive the whole time. And if it, that I mean, if you have more than one scoring drive in this game, you probably win it. Um, but ultimately, the Vikings squandered that away, and then they resulted came down to the wire, and they needed a hail mary to win the game. And you know, most of the time, if you're that in that, you're that scenario, it's not going to work out for you. So, um, quick question before we do these pie, I know we keep bringing stuff up before the handing out the slices of pie, but uh, what's your take on pass interference calls in the end zone on Hail Marys? I mean, on Hail Marys, I would definitely just let the guys play on yeah. Hail Mary specifically. Like I know that people probably weren't happy about, was it Adam Thielen that kind of got dripped yeah. in the end zone? I wouldn't have called it. I think we would have been mad if we were on the opposing side and someone was throwing into the end zone and they called it, we would be having the, you know, the opposite argument here. So for that reason, I don't really have a problem with. Well, that's what happened last year. uh, You remember this in the Tampa game? We had that argument. We We did. Yeah, we were mad about that. It's dumb because, yeah, I mean that's one where you're. The Kendricks one is different. The Kendricks one was like literally like blew up the the play. That wasn't a hail mary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. No, I, I just that would be one where like officials would be, you know, impacting the game in a very very clear way. Um, which I think happened to a degree in the, on that Kendricks play. Um, yeah. th- that was a very light call. And, you know, if that's holding, right, there's holding all over on every play. <laughs> but right. on the Thiele one in particular, I'm not upset they didn't call it. Um, I don't think the ball's getting caught anyway because Kirk kind of threw it in the, to, to really nowhere. So, um, you know, that would be that – I, I would feel a little guilty about that if it was called is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, basically what it comes down to for me is that the Vikings did not lose this game on the final five plays. That's kind of no. what this comes down to for me. That's why I have such <laughs> – No. I don't I – don't I mean, they're, they're dominated, and, and we'll get to the slice of pie, but that's where you know we'll talk about some, some of the big boys. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, the, Joe Woods came in and ate the Vikings lunch mm -hmm. uh, from the, in the second half of the game. And really, I mean, you could pick any drive you want. It's just that we have the deepest, probably most vivid memories of this final drive because that's ultimately when the Vikings came to lose, right? Um, but to me, they lost it well before that. So with that being said, let's hand out slices of pie. Now, this is a somewhat – this is a new idea that kind of falls in line with the the opposite when we're handing out game balls, right? Um, it, because the Vikings lost. Instead, we're going to hand out pieces of pie. And what that means is that every time a team loses, there's a big, there's a big pie, and you can split it into different sections to hand out different percentages of who earned that loss for the team. It's kind of what Drew was saying earlier. Whenever a team loses, it's not squarely on one guy, but generally speaking, someone gets a bigger slice of the pie. So that's kind of what we're looking to identify here when we hand these things out is the guy who really just did not, like if you think of it in terms of war, right, wins above a replacement. You get a zero just for kind of being there and doing your job. The slice of pie is the guy who was there and negatively impacted the game to the point where he's hurting your chances of winning this game. And it can be a coach. It can be a player. Mm -hmm. Hell, it could be a ref. It probably won't be for us personally, but there's a lot of different people that can influence this. So with all that being said, the rules laid out, who is the first piece of pie that we're going to give out on this show? So um, to clarify on the rules here, are we, are we positional groups allowed here or is it going to be a specific one player? Cause I mean, I, I can work groups either are one. fine. Groups are okay. fine. I was just going to go straight up. Then I'll go, the pass protection unit as a whole, the offensive line as a whole, because uh, uh, the run the run game was non-existent as well. So uh, offensive line came into the game, was actually doing really well in the season, but hadn't certainly hadn't played a unit like Cleveland. Um, kind of figured they were going to be outmatched, but it was a pure domination in this game. In terms of pressure rates, went was skyrocketed. Even Brian O'Neill was giving up pressures, which was new to us. Um, Rashad Hill's pass block gear was below 20 on PFF, which is you know, lower than TJ Clemmings numbers, uh, if you remember him. So we are, you know, that was, they were name drop, you know, uh, that's why, again, I'm going to point out once again, like not all of it is going to be on Kirk in this instance, when your pass blocking is, you know, grade sub 20 at left tackle. This is a game too. I mean, for the sake of Hill's career and his starting job with Darius not coming back and things like that, you know, I know the opponent was literally Miles Garrett, who's one of the, three scariest people to block in the league, but right. you get, you got to show up a little bit better than that. Uh, hold your own a little bit better than they did. So I'll give the first slice of pie to the offensive line as a whole. How large is that slice of pie in your, in your opinion? Uh, I'll go, you know, I'll give a, I'll give it a, a quarter of it. Quarter. A quarter. Yeah. So about 25% of that pie goes to the offensive line. I can get behind that. I'd be okay with going up a little bit higher even. I think you could probably go to 30%. I would, would agree with you that this largely, if we're going to pick the absolute largest slice of pie here this week, I think that it does fall on the yeah. offensive line because it's not just the pass blocking, right? Like the run blocking was okay, but it didn't get anything done, right? There's no result that you're excited no. about. I mean, 23 for 65, like that's not going to get it done. There is really no positive. So overall, that really fits the description here in terms of what we're trying to identify this is a unit that we knew if the Vikings could get some push on the offensive line play consistently like they did on the first drive all of a sudden you might be in a position to win so when you get the opposite of that yeah you get the biggest slice of pie we needed you the most and honestly the offensive line hurt the Vikings chances the most uh, with that being said you know I think that Kirk Cousins obviously deserves a big slice too uh, we've already talked about that uh, to a pretty fair extent I think that his number is probably in that 15 to 20 percent range so with that being said, I'm going to jump to 
you know, I'm going to jump to the coaching staff as a whole. I'm going to go, I'm going to pin it on Mike Zimmer specifically, right? I was talking before about, you know, the run defense in, in particular, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb basically did what they wanted all day long. And since I can't squarely place that on one individual, like I, I could say the defensive line, but then you'd throw right back at me that they get three sacks across this game. They had consistent pressure. I don't think this is on the defensive line. This is a situational issue. It was specifically just the run defense. So to me, you blame that on Mike Zimmer because he was scheming ineffectively to stop the run. And at some point, you need to make an adjustment there, right? It worked in terms of getting a stop on the first drive. You basically got a stop on the second Cleveland drive. And really, you held them to 14 as a whole but you allowed them to control too much of the clock with your game plan. And to me, that's why it falls on Mike Zimmer's shoulders. I would probably give him about 15%. So between 15 for Kirk, 20 for Mike Zimmer, and then let's say about 30 for the offensive line right there, you have about 75% of the puzzle. I could tell you some guys that don't fall in there. And that's like Mackenzie Alexander, Justin Jefferson guys who had nice games, but really Dantzler. Dantzler as well. Everson Griffin played well too. I thought he did. He did. So, I mean, there's guys that here that don't really take a piece here, but Dalvin Cook, I mean, nine for 34, you probably get a cut of five to 10% as well. Um, it's just, it's kind of a value over what you, what the result is, right? So like if you are valuing a guy and saying, Hey, we need to get 80 yards and a touchdown out of you and you get nine carries for 34, it doesn't really matter who else isn't playing well around you. Like you aren't getting your job done. And while it may not be fair, you get a slice of the pie as well. So Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins and the offensive line, you get the biggest slice of the pie for the Vikings 14 to seven loss to the Cleveland Browns. Um, I think that was a fun segment. We uh, will continue doing that one here. That's kind of sure. a so we'll check the comments and maybe they just hate it and then we'll abort. Yeah, we've done that before. We've had a couple of failed segments on this show. On, now on, well, on this show and I probably a few other shows as well. So, all right. With that being said, is there anything that we did not touch on that you wanted to point out before we get out of here? Um, Oh, Cardinals look really good. Uh, uh, that, that, lo- was, that, that was a fun stat, actually. Cardinals four and oh, Seahawks now two and two. Cincinnati three and one, I believe. Mm-hmm. And who am I missing? That the Vikings lost to? Oh, Cleveland. Three, the Browns? Three and one. Yeah. So the Vikings as a whole of the teams that they have lost to, they are what, 10 and two now? And the oh, team that here. they beat. Also, is one more piece of optimism for you that, you know, just we'll take can't. It. Yeah, you, you, you can't be a fan without uh, maximum optimism. The Vikings are the only team in the NFC North uh, that has outscored their opponents cumulatively this year. They are plus two on the year. They're the, uh, only, cumulatively. Only, they're the only one in three team to ever do that as well. I think I saw that. I think Just that's probably that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, that, and it's not like they blew out, you know, completely destroyed Seattle in their win. It's just they've been losing close games. So there's your, your optimism. I mean, the Vikings have a better point differential than Green Bay right now. I will also say, and this is the final point, and then we'll get out of here, that the Vikings have made the postseason after starting one and three, right? That was in 2008 with Tavares Jackson and Gus Farratt. It has happened before. There is historical precedent to suggest that the Vikings could I would say the Vikings the are better off at the quarterback position now than they were then, too. So I would certainly agree with that. And then also the fact that, right, I mean, I'm going to keep saying this every time the Vikings lose, but it's a 17-game slate this year. That loss doesn't matter as much as it did last year, right? There's still a shot. There's still a shot. Uh, um, if you move to two and three against Detroit, we'll talk more about that later on this week on the preview episode, but things can shift. Uh, you can get some momentum heading into the buy potentially in a few weeks here, maybe be over 500, but that'd be nice. But um, let's play this one by ear. But for me, this, you know, 
like I said, yeah. break point here. One and three, got to win some ball games now. It doesn't really matter. There's no such thing as moral victories anymore. We can take away some positives. Really, doesn't matter if the st- if the optimism that we have doesn't land in a sticking point in the future. So um, that's where we stand today. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening as always. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcast. If you prefer to watch this, uh, you can find us on YouTube. Drop us a line in the comment section if you so choose. And make sure to check out the rest of the Climbing the Pocket Network. Um, we got live shows Monday through Friday as well as a host of podcasts across you know multiple content creators, uh, some of them much better than myself. Um, so I would recommend awesome. picking up. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure to check that out. <laughs> I didn't say that. What? What? Somebody said something. <laughs> What's up? Um, and lastly, make sure to check out Daily Norseman. Every day they're putting up content, whether it's, you know, looking for the TV schedule all the way down to arguments for who should be the next coach of the Minnesota Vikings. You never know what you might find on Daily Norseman. So make sure to check that out. Drop us a comment on there. We'd like to read those as well. So with all that being said, um, we'll talk to you later on this week. It's going to be an important week for our Minnesota Vikings here. Um, but we'll try to find some reasons for optimism coming up here. And it seems like your Vikings are going to have a good opportunity to get their second win of the season um, later on this week. So we appreciate appreciate you guys listening to the show. And we'll catch you later on this week. Oh.